Book Two, Chapter Six, Part Three of The Octopus by Frank Norris. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. After dinner, preparations were made for games. On a flat plateau at the top of one of the hills, the contestants were to strive. There was to be a foot race of young girls under seventeen, a fat men's race. The younger fellows were to put the shot, to compete in the running broad jump and the standing high jump, in the hop, skip, and step, and in wrestling. Presley was delighted with it all. It was Homeric, this feasting, this vast consuming of meat and bread and wine, followed now by games of strength an epic simplicity and directness an honest anglo-saxon mirth and innocence commended it crude it was coarse it was but no taint of viciousness was here the people were good people kindly benignant even always readier to give than to receive always more willing to help than to be helped they were good stock of such was the backbone of the nation sturdy americans every one of them where else in the world round were such strong honest men, such strong, beautiful women. Annixter, Harron, and Presley climbed to the level plateau where the games were to be held to lay out the courses and mark the distances. It was the very place where once Presley had loved to lounge entire afternoons, reading his books of poems, smoking and dozing. From this high point one dominated the entire valley to the south and west. The view was superb. Three men paused for a moment on the crest of the hill to consider it. Young Vaca came running and panting up the hill after them, calling for Annixter. "'Well, well, what is it?' "'Mr. Osterman's looking for you, sir. You and Mr. Harron. Vanamy, the cowboy over at Derrick's, has just come from the governor with a message. I, I guess it's important.' "'Hello, what's up now?' muttered Annixter as they turned back. They found Osterman saddling his horse in furious haste. Nearby him was Vanamee, holding by the bridle an animal that was one lather of sweat. A few of the picnickers were turning their heads curiously in that direction. Evidently something of moment was in the wind. "'What's all up?' demanded Annixter, as he and Harron, followed by Presley, drew near. "'There's hell to pay!' exclaimed Osterman under his breath. "'Read that. Vanamee just brought it.' He handed Annixter a sheet of notepaper and turned again to the cinching of his saddle. "'We gotta be quick,' he cried. "'They've stolen a march on us.' Annixter read the note, Harron and Presley looking over his shoulder. "'Ah, it's them, is it?' exclaimed Annixter. Harron set his teeth. "'Now for it,' he exclaimed. "'They've been to your place already, Mr. Annixter,' said Vanamee. "'I passed by it on my way up.' They have put Delaney in possession, and have set all your furniture out in the road. Annixter turned about, his lips white. Already Presley and Harron had run to their horses. Vaca! cried Annixter. Where's Vaca? Put that saddle on the buckskin, quick. Osterman, get as many of the league as are here together at this spot. Understand? I'll be back in a minute. I must tell Hilma this. Hooven ran up as Annixter disappeared. His little eyes were blazing. He was dragging his horse with him. Say, those fellers come, huh? Me, I'm already. See, I have the gun. They've jumped the ranch, little girl, said Annixter, putting one arm around Hilma. They're in our house now. I'm off. Go to Derrick's and wait for me there. She put her arms around his neck. You're going? She demanded. I must. Don't be frightened. It'll be all right. Go to Derrick's and good-bye. She said never a word. 
She looked once long into his eyes, then kissed him on the mouth. Meanwhile the news had spread. The multitude rose to its feet. Women and men with pale faces looked at each other speechless or broke forth into inarticulate exclamations. A strange, unfamiliar murmur took the place of the tumultuous gaiety of the previous moments. A sense of dread, of confusion, of impending terror weighed heavily in the air. What was now to happen? When Annixter got back to Osterman, he found a number of the leaguers already assembled. They were all mounted. Hooven was there, and Harran, and besides these, Garnett of the Ruby Ranch, and Gethings of the San Pablo. Phelps, the foreman of Los Muertos, and last of all, Dabney, silent as ever, speaking to no one. Presley came riding up. "'Best keep out of this, Pres,' cried Annixter. "'Are we ready?' exclaimed Gethings. "'Ready, ready, ready, we're all here.' "'All? Is this all of us?' cried Annixter. Where are the six hundred men who were going to rise when this happened? They had wavered, these other leaguers. Now, when the actual crisis impended, they were smitten with confusion. Ah, uh, no, they were not going to stand up and be shot at just to save Derrick's land. They were not armed. What did Annixter and Osterman take them for? No, sir. The railroad had stolen the march on them. After all his big talk, Derrick had allowed them to be taken by surprise. The only thing to do was to call a meeting of the executive committee. That was the only thing. As for going down there with no weapons in their hands, no, sir. That is asking a little too much. Come on, then, boys, shouted Osterman, turning his back on the others. The governor says to meet him at Hooven's. We'll make for the long trestle and strike the trail to Hooven's there. They set off. It was a terrible ride. Twice during the scrambling descent from the hills, Presley's pony fell beneath him. Annixter on his buckskin and Osterman on his thoroughbred, good horsemen both led the others, setting a terrific pace. The hills were left behind. Broderson's Creek was crossed, and on the levels of Quien Sabe, straight through the standing wheat, the nine horses, flogged and spurred, stretched out to their utmost. Their passage through the wheat sounded like the rip and tear of a gigantic web of cloth. The landscape on either hand resolved itself into a long blur. Tears came to the eyes, flying pebbles, clods of earth, grains of wheat flung up in the flight, stung the face like shot. Osterman's thoroughbred took the second crossing of Broderson's Crick in a single leap. Down under the long trestle tore the cavalcade, in a shower of mud and gravel, up again on the further bank, the horses blowing like steam engines, on into the trail to Hooven's, single file now. Presley's pony lagging, Hooven's horse bleeding at the eyes, the buckskin game as a fighting cock, catching her second wind far in the lead now, distancing even the English thoroughbred that Osterman rode. At last Hooven's unpainted house beneath the enormous live oak tree came in sight. Across the lower road, breaking through fences and into the yard around the house, thundered the leaguers. Magnus was in waiting for them. The riders dismounted, hardly less exhausted than their horses. "'What? Where's all the men?' Annixter demanded of Magnus. "'Broderson is here, and Cutter,' replied the governor. "'No one else. I thought you would bring more men with you.' "'There are only nine of us.' "'And the six hundred leaguers who were going to rise when this happened?' exclaimed Garnett bitterly. "'Rot the league!' cried Annixter. "'It's gone to pot. Went to pieces at the first touch.' "'We have been taken by surprise, gentlemen, after all,' said Magnus. "'Totally off our guard. "'But there are eleven of us. 
It is enough. Well, what's the game? Has the marshal come? How many men are with him? The United States marshal from San Francisco, explained Magnus, came down early this morning and stopped at Guadalajara. We learned it all through our friends in Bonneville about an hour ago. They telephoned me and Mr. Broderson. S. Behrman met him and provided about a dozen deputies. Delaney, Ruggles, and Christian joined them at Guadalajara. They left Guadalajara going towards Mr. Annixer's ranch house on Quien Sabe. They are serving the writs on ejectment and putting the dummy buyers in possession. They are armed. S. Behrman is with them. Where are they now? Cutter is watching them from the long trestle. They returned to Guadalajara. They are there now. Well, observed Gethings, from Guadalajara they can only go to two places. Either they will take the upper road and go on to Osterman's next, or they will take the lower road to Mr. Derrick's. That is as I supposed, said Magnus. That is why I wanted you to come here. From Hooven's here we can watch both roads simultaneously. Is anybody on the lookout on the upper road? Cutter. He is on long trestle. Say, observed Hooven, the instincts of the old-time soldier stirring in him. Say, those fell a pretty damn schmud, I think. We got to put some picket way out by the lower road also. Don't he take those glasses Mr. Ennickstar got by him? Say, both at those irrigation ditch. That ditch he run rigid. Across both those roads, huh? That's some fine entrenchment, you bet. We fight em from those ditch. In fact, the dry irrigating ditch was a natural trench, admirably suited to the purpose, crossing both roads, as Hooven pointed out, and barring approach from Guadalajara to all the ranches save Annixter's, which had already been seized. Gethings departed to join Cutter on the long trestle, while Phelps and Harran, taking Annixter's field glasses with them, and mounting their horses, went out towards Guadalajara on the lower road to watch for the marshal's approach from that direction. After the outposts had left them, the party in Hooven's cottage looked to their weapons. Long since, every member of the League had been in the habit of carrying a revolver with him. They were all armed, and in addition, Hooven had his rifle. Presley alone carried no weapon. The main room of Hooven's house, in which the Leaguers were now assembled, was barren, poverty-stricken, but tolerably clean. An old clock ticked vociferously on a shelf. In one corner was a bed with a patched, faded quilt. In the center of the room, straddling over the bare floor, stood a pine table. Around this the men gathered, two or three occupying chairs, Annixter sitting sideways on the table, the rest standing. "'I believe, gentlemen,' said Magnus, "'that we can go through this day without bloodshed. I believe not one shot need be fired. The railroad will not force the issue, will not bring about actual fighting.' When the marshal realizes that we are thoroughly in earnest, thoroughly determined, I am convinced that he will withdraw. There were murmurs of assent. Look here, said Annixter, if this thing can by any means be settled peaceably, I say let's do it, so long as we don't give in. The others stared. Was this Annixter who spoke, the hot spur of the league, the quarrelsome, irascible fellow who loved and sought a quarrel? Was it Annixter, who now had been the first and only one of them to suffer, whose ranch had been seized, whose household possessions had been flung out into the road? When you come right down to it, he continued, killing a man, no matter what he's done to you, is a serious business. 
I propose we make one more attempt to stave this thing off. Let's see if we can't get to talk with the marshal himself. At any rate, warn him of the danger of going any further. Boys, let's not fire the first shot. What do you say? The others agreed unanimously and promptly, and old Broderson, tugging uneasily at his long beard, added, No, no, uh, no, no violence, no. Uh, no unnecessary violence, that is. Uh, I, I should hate to have innocent blood on, on my hands. Uh, that, that is, if it is innocent. Uh, I, I don't know. That, that S. Behrman, uh, he's a... Uh, well, he's a... Uh, uh, surely he has innocent blood on his head. That Dyke affair, terrible, terrible. But, but then Dyke was in, in the wrong. Driven to it, though. Uh, the railroad did drive him to it. I, I, I want to be fair and just to everybody. There's a team coming up the road from Los Muertos, announced Presley from the door. Fair and, and, and just to uh, everybody, murmured old Broderson, wagging his head, frowning perplexedly. I don't want to, to, to harm anybody unless they harm me. "'Is the team going toward Guadalajara?' inquired Garnett, getting up and coming to the door. "'Yes, it's a Portuguese, one of the garden-truck men.' "'We must turn him back,' declared Osterman. "'He can't go through here. We don't want him to take any news on to the marshal and S. Behrman.' "'I'll turn him back,' said Presley. He rode out toward the market-cart, and the others, watching from the road in front of Hooven, saw him halted. An excited interview followed. They could hear the Portuguese expostulating volubly, but in the end he turned back. "'Martial law in Los Muertos, isn't it?' observed Osterman. "'Steady, all!' he exclaimed as he turned about. "'Here comes Harron!' Harron rode up at a gallop. The others surrounded him. "'I saw them!' he cried. They are coming this way. S. Behrman and Ruggles are in a two-horse buggy. All the others are on horseback. There are eleven of them. Christian and Delaney are with them. Those two have rifles. I left Hooven watching them. Uh, better call in Gethings and Cutter right away, said Annixter. We'll need all our men. I'll call them in, Presley volunteered at once. Can I have the buckskin? My pony's about done up. He departed at a brisk gallop, but on the way met Gethings and Cutter returning. They, too, from their elevated position, had observed the marshal's party, leaving Guadalajara by the lower road. Presley told them of the decision of the leaguers not to fire, until fired upon. "'All right,' said Gethings. "'But if it comes to a gunfight, that means it's all up with at least one of us. Delaney never misses his man.' When they reached Hooven's again, they found that the leaguers had already taken their position in the ditch. The plank bridge across it had been torn up. Magnus, two long revolvers lying on the embankment in front of him, was in the middle, Harron at his side. On either side, some five feet intervening between each man, stood the other leaguers, their revolvers ready. Dabney, the silent old man, had taken off his coat. End of Book Two, Chapter Six, Part Three